Hey, what's going on? This is uh, Jeremy Thone, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. Excited to share an interview with Rock Jun Choi over at Torqueda. Rock has a really interesting background, which ties in supply chains to blockchains. He worked on building a few blockchains over at IBM. One of the products at IBM was to take food and then you could see which part of the food chain might have been disrupted from some sort of salmonella or things of that nature. And you could actually go in and remove the food that was off the shelf that was actually contaminated instead of having to throw away the entire batch. Now Rock is working for a company called Torqueda, which is a data analytics platform of American tire distributors. They're working on some really interesting things and collaborations of connecting the entire ecosystem of all of the tire manufacturers all into one blockchain. So it's all different data points from various vendors, including manufacturers, distributors, shippers, etc., to give better insights on tires within the supply chain. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Rock, uh, thanks for coming on to 3PL Live. I know that you have a background in building blockchains with IBM, and you also have a computer science degree. I'd love, and we're going to get into Torqueda and what you're working over there in blockchain merging with the supply chain. But before we get there, I want to find out a little bit more about your background. You mentioned that you got a degree in computer science. How did you get into computers and why did you end up getting a degree in computer science? Sure. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate the question. So I was always fascinated with technology and computers. I grew up with the Atari 2600s and the Nintendos, all those things and watching how you can create all this value out of nothing uh, just by playing video games, right? So I was always fascinated in computers. When I went to university, I thought that, you know, technology is going to drive business in the future. Let's start on the bottoms up. And I realized that I was never going to be the best programmer out there. I came in just as a computer nerd trying to learn more about computers. And then I'm competing against guys who've been doing programming for decades. And I was already way behind that. So I was thinking, what can I do with this insight and this education that I'm going to get? And I realized that taking these ideas and figuring out how that applies and how it sticks to these business applications or problems was something that I felt passionate about. And I was pretty good at it compared to a lot of our uh, friends who focus mostly on the technology side. So it was all about connecting the dots for me and making things work. And that's what I really found my passion in. So in my first job, which was a startup during the dot-com boom, I was working with a Korean-speaking engineering team in Korea, working with an English-speaking marketing team in Cupertino, California. And how to make them talk and work together was a real challenge because I, got to, I have to make sure in the middle, how do I take these requirements coming from the marketing team in the U.S., translate that into the engineers who are speaking Korean and technology, and kind of funnel it back to say, hey, this is the progress that we're making. So it was a lot of fun speaking four different languages every day, you know, English, Korean, as well as business and technology. And I became a really big piece of our puzzle. And that was a lot of fun. So that became my passion. As I progressed, I thought I need a little bit more of a business education. So I went into consulting first. Accenture, Systems Integrator, does that exact thing, taking business and technology and putting them together at a global scale. And then I came to New York and got my MBA. So on top of my technology background, I added some business background and I started to go work for IBM. And IBM was that perfect ground for me to leverage that passion and really make a lot of value for my customers because there was always going to be a new technology and there was always going to be big businesses who wanted to learn how to harness that. And there was a lot of fun in teaching them how to leverage this technology, build use cases out, 
also learning a lot about their industry and the progress. Past five years at IBM, I've worked on this thing called blockchain. Again, another hot technology that's growing. And we learned how to apply it to supply chain because everybody thinks with the Amazons of the world, supply chain is so efficient and so great. Yes, that's true, but there's also a lot of areas that have gaps, meaning that the data wasn't really speaking well to each other from organization to organization. The autonomousness of the supply chain was not there because of that. Blockchain was great in helping us bridge that gap between how do we make different players in the supply chain play together? And there was a huge technology background in that. So I had a lot of fun building things like IBM Food Trust and Trade Lens with my partners. Yeah, that's basically been my passion today. Still trying to connect the dots. That's super this time, fascinating. This time I'm in the um, automotive space trying to do the same. And it's been a fun ride so far. Can we talk a little bit about what you're working on at IBM, the, those two products that you had mentioned? What were those about like a high level? IBM Food Trust was all about tracing farm to fork, let's say your leafy greens, and how they ended up on your shelf. You probably recall in the early 2010s, there was always this spinach recall issue or potato salmonella issue or eggs. There was always some type of food scare. And when that happens, groceries would always empty out the shelf and just dispose of all the products that were questionable. That's a huge waste. And that's a lot of cost. And it's a brand impact to the grocers for the customers. So it was the best experience. What we did with blockchain and we work with customers like Walmart is that if you can trace your, uh, your product all the way to where the farm it came from, then if there is a outbreak to say any product that came out of this farm at this time needs to be disposed, then you can actually trace it all the way back front uh, forward to your product. And then you can surgically remove those bad products and emptying the entire shelf. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot more efficient. It's fast. We don't need to spend weeks recalling. We can spend a mere seconds on a, a mobile phone to figure out where exactly that product came from. And that is more efficient. It saves costs. It's a better customer experience. And it ultimately builds trust in the grocer to say, we know exactly where all of our produce came from. And we can tell you exactly that the product that's sold on the shelf is not the product that's contaminated, right? So there's a lot of value in that in building trust in the ecosystem. And that was a lot of fun because we got to work with the farmers. We got to work with the grocers and everybody in between and delivery the product end to end. The second product was Trade Lens, and that was a lot of fun too. It's all about container tracking. And it's very ironic, COVID world today, you hear about these containers sitting off the coast of um, California because they just couldn't offload them on time. And everybody's asking, where's my container? Even in that shipping industry, which is decades old, we still have problems tracking your container from end to end, which means... I don't know where my imports are coming from. And that's a huge issue. Being able to track them with blockchain as the containers ship between the different companies that handle them, that's been a big win for us as well. So that was a lot of fun. And we've worked with some big clients in the CPG and consumer industry. And I think there's a lot of potential for it to grow, especially with the supply chain disruptions today. Was that other, the, the second one, what was it called TradeLens? Is that what it's called? called TradeLens, yes. TradeLens. On that particular project, was it a, a visibility type project almost? Like where is my freight? type of thing? That's correct. Yep. And is there advantages putting that on a blockchain versus like another system? So, I mean, oftentimes you would always trust a freight forwarder or some intermediary to help book your container shipments and then kind of see it through to delivery. But the problem is that no one industry player today sees it end to end. There's always going to be somebody, let's say, if you're going to import stuff from China, Somebody on the China side needs to uh, track that information. Somebody needs to track that information at the port. And somebody needs to track it as it goes through the vessel all the way to California. And then it's th the other side there, right? Somebody's got to pick up the container, drive it over to your final destination. 
All of that is managed by different entities. The data types are all different. Nobody really cares to share that information because there's not a lot of incentive for them. If you build a, a platform like blockchain where you per contribute your individual piece of that supply chain leg into a common platform, the end consumer, which are the big CPG companies or the big um, consumer companies, can see where their products originated from, where their status is, who's the best player, who's the worst player in terms of keeping supply chain logistics. And it gives you so much more opportunity to improve that supply chain. Yes, there are ways to track those today, but they don't do it end-to-end. -end. They don't do it in the quality that you need it to be. Most of all, they don't do it in the trusted manner because you're always putting your eggs in that basket to hope that they will always make sure that they will give you the right information at the right time, right? It's better to hear it from the horse's mouth than to go through an intermediary. And that's the biggest benefits of what a blockchain can do. I know that there's a lot of folks out there that the word blockchain could be a bit of a buzzword and it could be a, a bit of a confusing word for people because they associate blockchain specifically with crypto. Could you just give us like a high level, I guess, framework or like understanding for like maybe those people that are a little bit older, you know, the boomer generation, like how would you explain what a blockchain is? Like sim simplify it. Sure. Blockchain going to the fundamentals, as the name suggests, is a data architecture that links different blocks of data into a chain. So the dumbest way to think of it is when you're doing your bookkeeping, you write your transactions on a book page, you turn the page off and then you write the next set of transactions. Your page is a block of data. And you, mm -hmm. if you add those pages together, you have a record of your business and the bookkeepings of it. We just turned that into a digital way and find a way to make it more open and collaborative. How it's different from other record keeping technologies is that it provides the flexibility to connect different records owned by different entities. Unlike how today, all these records are kept within a silo of an enterprise or an individual on your laptop or different organizations. What does this mean? Is that it allows you to start building collaboration with common data to the benefit of all the different record holders. As I mentioned to you in the container shipping case, everybody's gonna track down their own containers in the way they see it from their vantage point. But imagine if you can start connecting the books of different players to say, I gave my container over to you at this port at what date? You don't need to write that down on your end because I'll be giving you that data and we're looking at the same set of data. You can then simply enter your piece to say, I picked up the container and I put it on the vessel. If you connect the dots there at the very end customer, they will be able to see that all these events happen in a certain chain of events that form one record that I can trust because the person who executed it put it in so that I could trust it. And that's a lot better than saying one person's going to call you up and say, what day did you actually send that up? Oh, it was Monday. And then I accidentally write down this Tuesday where there you go. Your first data discrepancy happens there. And those things add up to build a lot of business disruption that we are impacted by today. Blockchain is intended to solve those problems today. And there are some properties I know about blockchain, like immutable data, permissionless and decentralized. Could we explore just a, a few minutes on that? Immutable data is a big part of blockchain and what makes it so good. The reason being is that records can always be manipulated. Hear about fake news or cooked books on accounting, right? Mm -hmm. You can never trust data when it comes from one single entity. Why? Because that entity controls the truth or not. Having immutability across transactions allows you to then verify the fact that it was written in one way at a certain time. And we know that's true because you cannot doctor that report. Even the erroneous entries are immutable. Why? At least we'll know that at some point in time, somebody wrote an erroneous entry. 
Not to say you're a bad person, but we can go back and fix it and we know where and how that error occurred. So that builds you a lot more trust. It's not about whether I can trust the data on the spot, but you trust the system to say, all these records will be kept in the best way possible. So I know exactly how data has flown. Permissioning is also very important. Why? If I'm gonna be doing immutable transactions with you and we need to look at the same set of data, I need to make sure that you're the right person who has a right to see this data, either audit it or act upon it. And I cannot trust some other random person to go in and freely survey that, right? That's gonna be either hacking or there's gonna be security concerns, privacy concerns. So there's a certain trust in the system that privacy will be kept, it will be secure. It's very difficult to hack and manipulate data. And then I can control who sees my data, why? I have to trust everybody in my ecosystem to start sharing that data because typically that would be very guarded data within my own walls, right? That technology is now helping blockchain progress, ultimately decentralization, right? Today, almost every system is centralized. Look at the financial system. There's the feds and then there's individual banks handling all your transactions. If one of those entities are hacked or their integrity is compromised, all the transactions coming out from it, much like the spinach recall I told you, will be very difficult to trust because you can't tell if your entries are doctored or not. But if you have a distributed, decentralized way of sharing data, then if one of those nodes break, you can tell from all the other nodes who are sharing that data to say that, yes, that node was compromised. Let's forget about that node. We're not going to trust data coming from it until it's rectified. In the meantime, we all have a record of that data so that we can still continue our system of operation using the data that we have. The systemic failures that you can often talk about in a banking system or a government system can be avoided if there's some form of decentralization taking place. So what does this all mean? You can trust your partners so it's easier to connect with them. Faster commerce because now I spend more time trading with you than figuring out who you are. Now that I can trust you and I can trust the data coming from you, we can automate a lot of our transactions, especially the manually um, measly transactions that are low value. And what does this all mean? Our lives are a lot more efficient because I'll be spending more time enjoying my life and doing higher value work than trying to validate every single transaction that comes to my, comes to my books. That makes total sense. And for those people that don't know what a node is, could you explain what a node is? Sure. So the way blockchain works in principle is that you have different entities who are sharing data. Each entity is technically a node. Why? Because they need to keep a copy of that record. And there's a lot more complexity in us to how we design that and how we can operate. But the basic idea is one version of the truth. So if you, me, and the third party are doing a blockchain-based network, the three of us will all be nodes handling one version of the truth together. If one of us has our data compromised, at least the other two nodes can say, We'll vote on the fact that your data is likely compromised because your version is different from ours. That's how we keep the data integral. Now, why do I say three? Because if it's between you and me, we can always verify data amongst ourselves. There's always room for us to manage the data or even change the data and nobody will know. But if there's a third party or a fourth party or a fifth party who has a need to know on the data's integrity and a copy, have a copy of that, that's when we'll start to really understand that there can be no cheaters will be able to identify discrepancies immediately. And there's always a way to fix those discrepancies when they happen, because we'll have an alternate version of the truth ready to be applied. Crypto was probably one of the biggest things or the, you know, I guess that got the most buzz out of blockchain. Why was crypto a good use case for blockchain? Yeah, crypto was extremely popular. And, you know, if they have Super Bowl ads on crypto, it means they're pretty serious, right? Sure. So 
crypto has been a lot of hype because of, I'm going to not talk about the speculative side of it because there's a lot of hype in understanding like, how can I make money off of it? But the whole idea about cryptocurrency is that it was an alternate source of payment. Why was it so great? Is as I said, blockchain keeps a full record of the history of the transactions that lead up to one another. So imagine if you could trace money. I have a dollar bill right now. I can tell you exactly who owned that dollar bill 20, uh, 20 steps ahead of me. That gives you a lot of credibility into understanding the flow of currency. So there's a lot of applications around anti-money laundering that can be applied here, right? A lot of people didn't have a lot of trust in the banks and the cash, especially the fees that are required to operate that. Cryptocurrency was an excellent alternative to that payment. Yes, using a Bitcoin is a lot more expensive than buying one. The concept itself was great because it removes the central bank from your business transactions. And that was a big opportunity for uh, smaller players who could not leverage that central bank to process their transactions for them. It's just one form of an application of what blockchain can do. Other forms, there are supply chain use cases where I spent a lot of time on. And there's also things like government. For example, a lot of countries are starting to use blockchain for voting. Yes, Russia has used it and there are some you know, nuances there. But countries like Estonia, I think, have also looked into it. And there's a lot of value there because it helps you trust the entity and the transactions around it without having to validate it because validation is becoming a lot more difficult because of the different versions of the truth that you can carry. We need a better way to trust that each player is the trusted entity and focus more time on the value that we can create together. Again, crypto is just another form of blockchain. I can see it from, for days to come, but I think we're still in the earlier stages of how we adopt it. I've heard too that we're like somewhere along the early stages of the internet with the adoption rate. I'm not sure if that's the same sort of things that you're hearing. And I've also heard that it's a good way to broker trust between people. Would you say that's true? Yes, absolutely. For those who follow the evolution of the internet, we're talking about web 3.0 these days. Web 1.0 is pretty much in the 2000s when just connecting the dots through the internet was a great idea. I mean, we're sharing data, we're starting to build e-commerce. And then today we're living in the world of web 2.0. What does it mean is there's a lot of collaboration going on. Look at um, you know the Wikipedias and the YouTubes of the world. Everybody's an author and everybody is contributing value to the internet. The big thing here is that every entity must be the trusted source of data. And that's a hard thing to do. This is how fake news comes on, right? I contribute fake news into the internet it proliferates and then suddenly you can't tell the difference whether it's trusted or not, right? It's still very centralized in the way it operates because it focuses on major players to operate the internet and then major contributors to create content for you. And that means that users are authenticated with their IDs that can and cannot be trusted. In Web 3.0, a lot of those concepts on blockchain start to take place. A decentralized, peer-to-peer -peer way of sharing data so you don't rely on a central entity to serve you the internet. There's also a lot of talk about how do we trust individuals and entities contributing data without having logins? Like, what's the best token to make sure that Rock is Rock and Jeremy's Jeremy and we can trust the content they're producing? Things such as decentralized autonomous organizations. Think of those as governments that don't need a government to police them. So it's self-police with people who are within the constituency of that network. All these concepts are now starting to take place in the internet. And that's where we believe blockchain will have a heavy influence on the future as Web 3.0 comes to life. Yeah, it seems like with DAOs, it's like the code is sort of more of like the, the law. It seems like it's like almost like if you have like a business partner, right? And mm -hmm. you have a different view of the world and they have a different view. When disputes happen, it makes it really hard. But it seems like if you could if you could put your business applications to code, it makes it really easy to be like, hey, this is what happened. This is how like the DAO will execute. Is that kind of like the way to see it? Yeah, I think you explained it in a very simple way, which is great. 
the the base idea here is you know business is done by humans and humans can only do so much why we have 24 hours a day and we have a certain amount of capacity we can allocate to transactions if we take those business rules have an agreement that can be digitally policed or monitored or governed, we can help the computers do most of the transactions for ourselves. As I mentioned, automation is a huge part of blockchain's uh, value prop. And that if I know your conditions and my conditions, and we can agree upon a preset of rules to say, if these conditions are met, let's just forget about the rest and execute contract. That's what a smart contract is about. Why is it different from automation? It's because two entities can set up the business rules and we can govern it by ourselves to make sure that it's valuable for us. So that's the biggest value of a DAO is you don't need a central government to write out the rules for you. Yes, there will be regulations between the physical rule and the digital rule, and that'll always persist. But within ourselves, the value proposition that we want to create, we can build those digital self-governing rules so that within the network, our value, um, our value creation can be self-governed without having a central entity to tell us how it's supposed to run. Power to the people, it's very democratic. There's so much variations and different values that can come out of that because you don't need to rely on a central authority to tell you what to do. That's fascinating. I actually read a little bit about this guy named Nick Zabo. He was a computer scientist, but also like a lawyer. I guess he was mm-hmm. credited for creating the first smart contract. And I think Ethereum was like one of the first platforms to actually do smart contracts. But for those people that don't, know what a smart contract is, would you mind explaining? So a contract, everybody understands what it is, is we have an agreement to a certain action. What a smart contract means is you don't need a human to get involved, to validate all the different conditions of the contract to execute upon it. We rely on our digital counterparts, which is the machines and the systems to then execute on contracts if certain conditions are met. I'll give you a great example. I sell tires. I know I sell five tires a day on average. And my minimum carrying um, inventory should be six tires a day because I never know what volume of customers are going to come in my door. I should need at least six every day. And I would like to make sure that I don't need to monitor, do I have six tires or not on my shelf? So let's build a smart contract. You're the tire supplier and I'm the tire buyer. I have 10 stock of inventory in my shelf right now. Whenever the condition is going to be, whenever I have a tire inventory count that goes below six, So let's say I sold six and now I have four left on my inventory. Let's build an agreement that you will always ship me four extra tires to fill my inventory. Today, how is it done? I'm going to go check my shelf. I know I made a sale and I have four tires. I'm going to pick up the phone and call Jeremy. Can you ship me four tires of this brand so that I can restock my shelf? So that's how a lot of commerce is still done today. If there's a digital agreement that I will share my inventory data with you and you will share your distribution data with me, every time we know my system tells me that there's less than six tires, you will get an automated order to say, I need four more tires shipped to me. That reduces, number one, time between you and me making phone calls and doing low value reordering. Second of all, I will always have a guarantee that there will be a above minimum average inventory on my shelf because they're going to continue to show up at my doorstep. Third, there's going to be a continuous cycle of trusted commerce between you and me. So we will be making money while we sleep without having to worry about the the cost factor there or the manual work that gets involved, right? So this is how we're going to build efficiency, scalability, and also autonomy to help build value for the businesses. That's super smart. I could see exactly why that would work really well, just because it's just automating sort of the inventory process between you and your manufacturer. Now, I do want to get into 
Torqueda, what you're working on over there, but could you give me a little bit of background on American Tires first and then Torqueda? Sure. American Tire Distributors is the largest tire distributor in North America. The name speaks for itself, right? We distribute tires. So we buy tires from the major manufacturers and you can pretty much look at any tire that's on the car on the road today. We ship those tires. And we sell them to different retailers. They could be big box stores like the Walmarts of the world. And they could be the mom and pop shops that you see that are like third generation owned. And they have all various levels of clientele, different levels of adoption of technology, but they all need tires because the U.S. market is consuming 250 million tires a year. And that's been fairly consistent. Plus the business has been really good nowadays for the tire industry. Why? Because with coronavirus and things like that, we did get hit by the supply chain quite a bit. But now as we recover, people are not flying that much. We're all driving to places because we feel safer that way, consuming more tires there, right? Mm -hmm. Also the proliferation of delivery services like Uber and et cetera. Um, Nowadays, we have somebody deliver everything to us nowadays. That's all done on wheels, right? So it's been very kind to the tire business from a business point of view, but on the supply chain side, we're still working things out. Now, where we conceptualize Turkeda is that American tire distributors have an analytics arm led by my boss, Tim Eisenman. We want to solve all these problems about distribution because, you know, when you're buying and you're selling at the same time, there's a lot of need to process this data to figure out what's where's the supply coming from and where's the demand coming from. And as we start to mature our business, we realize that this is not a problem just for American Tires, ATD. This is a problem for everybody upstream and downstream in our supply chain and also for our partners who could be our competitors at times. So we decided to say, hey, let, why don't we spin this off as a separate entity called Torqueda and then let's kind of build a service for everybody. Why? Um, there's a lot of analytics that go into meeting demand and supply and figuring out the best recommendations on your stocking decisions for your inventory on what types of programs to sign up for to maximize your profit intake with these rebate programs or understanding your price competitiveness across your landscape. Because today, you know, if you go to a gas station, the best way to figure out your competitor's price is to drive around and spend time figuring out what the prices are, right? Nobody has time to do that. And nobody, not everybody has the technical savviness or the capacity to build these tools to help their business. So that's where we decided to help our partners across the industry to say, we can build industry insights across the tire distribution platform. And then we will be able to help our retailers make better decisions about what to stock in your inventory. How do we kind of maximize your in-shop profit? And with all that information, we can also help our manufacturing partners to say, here's how you can actually really understand the customer consumption patterns. And here's how you can predict your demand in the future. So it's been a great journey so far. We've been only a year and a half in existence. But we've, made, we've been able to make a lot of strides for our partners to date. Makes sense. Could you explain a little bit more about those partners? The, you mentioned retail, manufacturing. Who are the different people that it would be plugging into the system? And what, who would, I guess, what data would be flowing into these systems or into store data? We've primarily served three segments of the tire industry. The retailers who buy tires from companies like American Tires, as well as the manufacturers. And then we have the manufacturers on the other spectrum who build tires for the industry to consume. And in the middle, we have distributors as well. Companies like American Tires, who um, were our parent company, who are a parent company, and they pretty much play on both sides, right? They do buying as well as selling and distributing. So those are the primary players in the market today for Torqueda. And as I mentioned, not everybody has a perfect view of the industry. Why? Manufacturers will only see their sales data 
And retailers, regardless of the brand, will only see their sales at their shops. Nobody sees end-to-end and how we connect the dots to say, this is how the 250 million um, tires in the industry are being distributed today. So for us, as we connect shippers as well as buyers together, we start to build that digital map to say, this is the bird's eye view of how tires are flowing. So think of it as you know taking a satellite view of the American map, and now you can see the different veins of how tires are flowing across the industry. And that's valuable information for anybody in the supply chain to make better decisions on, whether it's routing, production decisions, or even demand management. And some of these parties can be conflicting, right? Some of them could be a competitor, right? So how do you, I guess, help people that are competitors see that maybe it's better for collaboration as an industry as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. We look at it from an industry point of view. The first thing that we have to do is we have to trust that the data that we uh, provide as well as consume is anonymous. There's no names, no individuals that name so that there is a targeted competition there. The retailers will still compete with each other, but it's always good to know what's in demand in my area today. The competitive factor will then take place to say, instead of figuring out, am I buying the right tire, et cetera, it'll be like, what type of customer service can I provide to differentiate my service versus the guy next door? You're taking competition to compete on the higher value things like customer experiences and better decision-making around the programs you sign up for rather than spending time collecting intelligence because we can provide that at a neutral level for everybody to then level the playing field. So that's how it kind of works on the retail side. On the manufacturing and the supplier side, it's another story where, as I mentioned, everybody focuses within the data coming into their four walls through their sales and operations. But there's a big piece of the industry that they're not consuming, which is the industry data. Yes, there are industry groups like U.S. Tire Manufacturers Association who will produce these numbers, but can you trust that those are the most accurate? That could be one version of it, but we would like to take a more empirical approach on that. Understanding how the bird's eye view works versus your individual views is the big uh, difference maker for us because it's almost like telling you you're doing really well you're running a lap four minutes and you're running a four minute mile but where's the rest of the industry running it are they running faster than you or slower than you and what are you going to do to keep up with the competition that's the type of question that um, we want our partners to solve rather than saying i'm running a four minute mile what's the guy next to me running because i can't measure that because i'm too busy running what about uh, just like a high level what was like the process of like arch- architecting Torcada? like how did you go about like visualizing that As I mentioned, we started with helping American tire distributors with a lot of the data problems that they have. As we continue to expand and we start to drive value for um, smaller use cases like inventory stocking decisions or automating replenishment orders, we start to collect feedback on, it would be really good if I can have insight into this attribute. So we're working with partners to build out those use cases because even if we'd still have the same data platform, the way each partner needs to consume it and the type of business outcomes that they expect from it are a little bit different. So that's where our bread and butter lies is we understand the industry and the data platform of it. We understand the data quality. And now we're adapting it to help different players within the industry to make sense out of that data to whatever it may mean for them. A uh, high level, when people log into Torcator, I don't even know if the project's even used at the moment, but is when people do, um, what, what sort of, are you getting a good feedback so far and people wanting this data? I, I would imagine they would, but I'm just curious from your point of view. Absolutely. I mean, we're still growing and um, we're still 
working on the data models because it's an ever improving cycle, right? That's the great fun about the data business. If you go to our website, torqueta.com, T-O-R-Q-A-T-A.com, you'll be able to see some of the retail tools that we publish. And that's available for any entire retailer to sign up for. And, you know, as I mentioned, we help with inventory stocking, profitability decisions, as well as even helping with some demand generation campaigns. So there's a lot of value for the tire retailers. There's a lot more strategic work going on with other partners in the industry because they don't do direct to consumer. There are different ways that we're helping our partners. I can't explain all of it, but it all works on the fact that shared data drives better results because you have a lot more data to work with. It's a lot more neutral and unbiased. And all of that basically leads to a better decision because you'll have a better set of data to work with. For those people that don't know, there is other companies, right, that that have whole businesses based upon like data plays, right? Is that is that pretty common? The data business itself, there's a huge um, ecosystem around it, right? There are people who create the data capturing systems like POSs or mobile readers. And then there's data extraction services. Think of it as an ETL service, but for different uses. And then there's platforms like us. So... We try to make sure that we work with everybody in a neutral way so that we don't disrupt one person's business. I'll give you an example. If we are going to build our own mobile reader for um, tire treads, all the other tools that are using tire tread data collection will not want to work with us because we're direct, we're in direct competition with them, right? So we have to play Switzerland with them. And I think that's been a great value contributor for us because people can trust that they can share data with us and we won't take advantage of that. We're going to actually give value back to their individual customers who have a need to know and gain insights from that aggregated data set. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that too, that the supply chain, a lot of the technology, like we have a lot of EDI from like the seventies and then API seem to be kind of more common play now. It's a little bit of a laggard as far as like, uh, I guess, technology goes. Do you see more blockchain applications? I haven't seen a lot myself and I, and I work, you know, day in, day out in the blockchain or not blockchain and supply chain. I don't really see a whole lot of projects coming up. I've seen Torqueda obviously now, and I've seen uh, VeChain, which is a different project, but do you envision like more of this technology coming as Web3 comes more use cases for supply chain? Yeah, I think we will see proliferation of these types of data sharing technologies because there's so much value to gain from it. Blockchain will be just one application of it and it'll come with its pros and cons as well. The idea here is that uh, what you mentioned, EDI and API, those standards have been well-defined um, decades ago. The problem is, is that the way people use it have not been fairly consistent. So I can get the same EDI message about my purchase order, and it'll have different fields, and it'll have different types of format, uh, and it will come in different qualities as well. Some people will fat finger the wrong thing, and those will always create discrepancies. The whole idea of connecting the dots across the supply chain is how can we build those connections, but also coach our partners to say, here's how you can manage clean data. Here's where you have errors in your data or incompleteness that are restricting the, the value you can drive from it. Over time, we'll see an improved standardization of the industry data across the board. As I mentioned, we've built these data models to operate in such a siloed fashion over the past few decades. There's a lot of effort that needs to go in to now clean this data and make it shareable and consumable by other parties. The API economy with JSONs and other forms of XML have started to accelerate that a little bit, but there's still ways to go in helping everybody across the supply chain to speak the same language at the same quality at the same time. That makes sense. Could you explain to you like why, for those folks that don't know why clean data is important, like why is clean data important getting reports and just in general, why is clean data important? 
In the age of collaboration, being truthful and trusted is very important. So in the data industry, you heard plenty about garbage in, garbage out when it comes to analytics. When it comes to blockchain and shared data, you can add to that garbage forever. You know, if you put in the wrong entry and you keep doing that, then bad records will continue to accumulate. Imagine what that's going to mean to you as a partner to another group. Your group of partners will say, that partner has always contributed the wrong data. It was more work for us to work with them than to work on by ourselves. So we really can't trust that person. That quickly removes you from a value add position in the supply chain. So there's more incentive for you to make sure that the data you provide and the work that you provide is of good quality and trusted trusted quality for your partners to consume because that'll make them want to work with you better. Why? It's easier to work with you. And there's more that they can do with that data that you share with them. So that's the primary incentive. In the long term, what can you do? Let's say everybody is speaking clean data and we have standards across the industry. I can trust the data without even looking at it that you're sending me. That accelerates autonomization. Imagine that you know machines can now do the work because they can. Tr they don't need humans to validate the data to whether to execute a smart contract or not, right? So those things will start to proliferate, and you know Amazon might be able to order for you your milk and eggs without even having to check um, check with you because they'll know that you have twelve eggs, you consume eight. They all track that data, and then they're going to ship you another 12 partners on Monday. I'm jokingly saying that, but it's it cool might though. be a reality in the very um, near future. But those applications are already taking place. The thing that is stopping them from proliferating is, again, the lack of trust in the data and the entities who are playing in it today. Could machine learning kind of help out with there too as well, if, like to figure out the trend, to figure out, sort through the data to give recommendations as well, you think? Yeah, there's a couple of areas where AI and ML are helping. The first stage where machine learning really helps is to clean the data. I mean, if you get data, let's say um, I'm a dealership sending you a Honda Civic. Some of those places will call it a Honda. Some of them will call it a Civic. Some will say a Honda Civic. And some will even say mid-sized car made by Honda. Understanding what all those different patterns mean and trying to make sense out of it into a one unified source of truth mm -hmm. is a huge endeavor. And you can imagine... There has been times when people hired a village in India to just sort through those data points. Some people will try to do it um, through certain patterns by defining their own data sets and say, this is the only data set I'm going to work with. But all of that takes a lot of manual effort and cost. And at the end, the quality still loses out. Machine learning can help accelerate that by recognizing patterns a lot faster and try to make the right recommendations. The second part of it is then aggregating that data and then trying to identify the trends of it, right? So this is the whole trend lining and predictability that we can build into our machine learning models. And, you know, the financial markets have been using this for a very long time. And then last but not least is that engagement channel. And you hear, you see a lot of those bot chatbots in websites. They are the more primitive applications of machine learning. But imagine if those machines will start making you recommendations to say, you actually need six more of this type of product than four more of these for the same price because you're going to get more profit out of it. Those recommendations will start to be executed in automation because you could trust the data and the machine and the outcomes that are coming from it. Today, it's still a human decision, but I'm pretty sure in the future, those things can take place with the more low value activities. I know that you've been featured on Freight Waves too a couple of times and uh, Craig Fuller of there mentioned in 2021 that the, the supply chain actually got a seat at the table just because of all these ships being docked over like in, in the port of Los Angeles and just all the mess with COVID and, you know, toilet paper, empty shelves. And it seemed like a lot of venture money came into the freight industry and it sort of got highlighted. Do you, do you echo that as well? 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for watching uh, the Freight Weeds article. I mean, I had a lot of fun talking to them because it was very dear. It was a very dear space to me. What COVID has really helped us identify, despite its challenges, is that it tells us how fragile our supply chain is, how reliant we are on certain players and certain things to keep up. The systemic failure has been experienced already, right? Toilet paper. Yes, there were times when I couldn't find it at Costco. The resiliency of the supply chain is going to be a very important factor as society progresses. Why? Because there are different demographic patterns and consumption patterns. And these things are going to change constantly based on how our ecosystems are developing. If the 2000s was all about globalization and moving factories to one part of the world and consumption moves in another direction, that's going to be a lot more fragmented now because we realize that you can't rely on one node, aka let's say China or India or Malaysia, to produce all the products of that type that we need. You're going to need some production in Mexico, you're going to need some in the US because if one of those nodes fail, then you can't get that product, period. Look at what happening, what's happening in the chip industry, right? There's a lot of incentive to figure out what does it mean to balance out the supply chain, not only for redundancy, but also for efficiency, right? If I need something just in time, I'll buy it off the shelf that comes from Texas. But if I am okay with waiting a little bit and I'll buy in bulk, I'll buy something from China and let it come in the container ship. How do you coordinate all that is a huge question mark because the production, the investment, the capital allocation, and the execution of it through the different third parties we work with, that is not a certain decision that a CEO or a CFO can make. A supply chain officer needs to really be on that day-to-day to coordinate all the different orchestrations that need to happen. And I think that's why it makes it so exciting. And that's why I dived into supply chain for blockchain at the time. It was just so fascinating to connect the dots. Um, going back to my original vision. I was reading a white paper the other day and it was talking about how we're going to start seeing more distribution centers that are like micro distribution centers, sort of for like product that needs to get like the quick Amazon day of type situation. And that also people are going to start going from like just... Uh, you know, like a lean inventory to maybe just like just in case inventory. Do you echo that as well? I wouldn't agree with every point of that because the practicalities add some uh, complexity there. I do agree on the fact that the way we stock and manage our inventory and how we distribute it will change over time. As mentioned, just in time inventory, just in case inventory, great. But what does that mean is what is the necessary infrastructure and the capabilities I need to deliver an outcome at a moment's notice. I think that's the bigger question, right? I'll give you a great example. The US military has published a story around mosaic warfare. You know, it's a military term, but the whole idea is, I don't care if it's Air Force or Army or Marines or the Navy. If I need to fire a missile at a certain destination, all I need to know is who's available there to fire that missile, who's available there to give them the correct targeting data, and who monitors that threat. So it's more of an orchestration than a outcome or positioning of deployment of troops. And that's where I see the supply chain today is we're not going to have enough time or capacity to deal with all the dynamics. We want to make sure there is a well enough orchestrated infrastructure in place to deliver an outcome when it's needed. And I'll give you an example um, is if I'm the tire distributor, and this happens in the auto parts space as well, is I don't need to be the guy who makes a delivery. All I care is if I'm the guy who the customer calls to make a sale, because I can always call up a partner to deliver on my behalf if I can't reach there in the time needed, right? It's business for him, it's business for me, and I ultimately get the client's trust because I'm delivering the outcome that they want. And then the question will be then, where do I pick my battles? Do I stock inventory on this end so that I own that distribution? Do I partner on the other end because I can't get there in time? There's going to be a trusted partner on, even though it's competition, that they can kind of help me get the outcomes that I want. And I'm being a little bit sophisticated, uh, in, sophisticated in the way I'm explaining it because 
we're starting to see this happen in the industry today. We can't say it's a definitive model. It will evolve. And that's why it's exciting. Um, if you look at how tire distributions are going to happen in the future, I see that model taking place as well. We want to make sure that the customers get tires where they are, regardless of who's delivering it. And there are three PLs who can do some of that job. There will be some of our competitors who can do that job. And there'll be other retailers selling to other retailers who could do that in a last mile delivery case, right? All of this is starting to take shape in the industries and the auto space, food, et cetera. Yeah, I know you're an intellectual. So my closing thought for you is one of the, a couple of books that I've been listening to lately. One was uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. He's one of the original co-founders of PayPal, super smart guy. And then The Hard Things About Hard Things, which was by um, Andreessen Horowitz you know, the venture capital firm. Are you into any books that you'd recommend? Uh, yeah, uh, my rule of thumb give advice to is don't rely on books too much because books are yesterday's data where somebody wrote it about a year ago and then it's published, right? So sure. yes, there's value in learning the fundamentals. One book I'll recommend for blockchain is there's this book called Blockchain with Hyperledger Fabric. It's written by my colleagues at IBM, um, Anthony O'Dodd, Nitin Gaur, excellent smart guys who wrote it really, really well to give you the basics of understanding blockchain. And then where do I go from there is go into the forums that where people are actively throwing ideas at each other, questioning the validities of it, and you know coming up with new ideas to do things better. Uh, two sites I'll recommend, Consensus, uh, you know, obviously a very, very popular destination for blockchain enthusiasts and blockchain 101, even though it's called blockchain 101, there's a lot of interesting concepts that are exchanged every day to figure out how is the industry evolving. And even if you're not using blockchain per se, the concepts about collaboration, shared data, or finding value in areas that you may not have thought of, those are great lessons that I take to um, every day to my job. Rock, that was a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your time and uh, your passion. How, how do people reach out to you if they want to find out more about Torqueda? Sure. Um, look me up on LinkedIn, shoot me a note and you know, talk about connecting. I'm always open to connecting with different people because it helps you learn so much more about the world than what you can do by yourself. So I'm available there. Link, look me up on LinkedIn, look up Rock and Torqueda. There's only one of us. So <laughs> um, that's the best way I'd recommend. Or you can always um, visit us on their website at torqueda.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Rock. Really enjoyed talking about supply chain and blockchain and using and different use cases for actually using blockchain within the supply chain. Blockchain definitely has some advantages such as immutable data, decentralization. So it should be really interesting to see what happens with Web 3.0 and all these new technologies coming out.